You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. In August of 1980, Carol Bundy confessed her connection to the Sunset Strip Slayer who had been terrorizing Los Angelinos all summer. In September of 2012, the cult of the Unification Church, also known as the Moonies, mourned the death of their leader, Sun Myung Moon. Tune into Murder Murder News every Friday to hear us detangle another twisted tale from true crime history. If you're an amateur sleuth who hopes to someday solve a cold case or locate a missing person, tune into Murder Murder News and start off your search with a deep dive into some fascinating and very solvable cases. We always take a victim-first stance and like to focus on crimes affecting marginalized communities, which typically don't get enough media attention. Subscribe to Murder Murder News wherever you get your podcast to make sure you never miss an episode. In part one of Luca Magnata, we started to look into the descent into crime of Eric Clinton Kirk Newman, better known by Luca Rocco Magnata. If you have not yet had a chance to listen to part one, I highly suggest that you take the time to do so before diving into part two. In the last episode, we looked a bit at Luca's past and some of the things that may have led to the heinous crime that we're going to discuss at great length today. We talked about the crimes that led to Netflix's series Don't Fuck With Cats and the manhunt that took place behind the scenes for a man who had made videos of killing cats. Many believe that this was a precursor of worse things to come, and unfortunately they would prove to be right. In this episode, we will talk about the sad, grisly murder of Lin Jun and the horrible ways in which his body was disrespected and desecrated after the fact. Welcome to part two of the story of Luca Magnata. As we discussed in the last episode, there is no better way to describe Luca Magnata than to call him an asshat. He committed horrible things that we discussed in the last episode, including the use and abuse of a special needs woman, fraud, and of course the senseless and brutal videotaping of the murder of kittens. Luca Magnata tried being a model, tried being a porn star, tried taking a painstaking amount of time trying to make himself look like someone that was relevant. Yet, 
His fame would be found by doing things that are well outside of the realm of normal, everyday people. Luca Magnotta was so proud of himself and excited to be the subject of an international and online manhunt for a man who had broken one of the cardinal rules of the internet. You don't do harm to animals. As awful as that was, it would not be the worst of the things that he would do. And we will discuss today not only did he murder another man, but he committed so many indecencies that will make your stomach churn and your heart ache. Let's talk about Luca Magnata and his more known crimes, the moment where he decided to stop fucking with cats and instead he started to fuck with people. We closed off our last episode with the letter that Luca had sent out that threatened that the next time that anyone heard from him, there would be an escalation of his crimes. He threatened that he would move from cats to people. Unfortunately, that was not a lie. In this case, Luca did exactly that. On May 15th and 16th of 2012, there started to be online rumblings and online rumors and promises that there was going to be a new video posted online for public consumption. This was being posted online and shared by various accounts that had been seen and connected with the kitten videos that we discussed in the last episode. The new video that was being hyped up was going to be called One Lunatic, One Ice Pick. This immediately started to cause a lot of concern, worry, and frustration as Luca Magnato was still in the wind and it was becoming very evident that not only was Luca enjoying the attention that he had created and was getting, but he was also thriving within it. Luca Magnata finally found what he had been searching his entire life for. People knew who he was, and people knew his name. On May 25th of 2012, the moment that so many people had feared was coming sadly arrived. A 10-minute video was uploaded to the Canadian fringe site Best Gore, which, as an aside, is still online to this day. The video also can be still found online, which is not shocking, but sad. It's not hosted on Best Gore, but obviously many quarters of the web do have the video still. Once something is out there, it's damn near impossible for it to be pulled back. One Lunatic, One Ice Pick was a play off of the meme video from around the same time called Two Girls, One Cup, which was a grotesque porno movie. We'll leave it with that. For obvious reasons, we will not have the video posted or linked anywhere to our episode as we do not wish to be responsible for anyone watching what we're about to describe. Of course, we need to again warn you that this episode will have some very graphic explanations incoming. So, if you're squeamish to that kind of thing, please skip ahead a bit as we're about to explain what happened in the video. This is not just a haphazard attempt to warn you of minor gruesome details. This video was absolutely disgusting, and what you're about to hear is incredibly graphic. The video was about 10 minutes long, and I will say that I have not, nor will I ever, watch the video. For me, the descriptions are far too much, never mind watching the video itself. When the video starts, 
True Faith by New Order is playing in the background. The song is also the opening song in one of the movies that Luca Magnotta was uh, overzealous, we'll say, about American Psycho. There's no way that this was a coincidence, and like the music that he used in his past videos, this was clearly chosen for the occasion that Luca Magnotta had in mind. In the video, you can see a man who is clearly tied to the bed naked. His ankles and wrists are tied to the bed. The other person in the video lovingly caresses the man in much the same way that the kittens were caressed in Luca's past videos. Over the 10 minutes that the video is recording, Luca Magnata stabs the man with a knife which had been manipulated to look like an ice pick. The man was stabbed over 100 times. He then proceeds to slice part of the man's body with a steak knife. Before the video is even halfway through, Magnata has decapitated Lynn and sawed at his arm. And by the end of the video, Magnata had sawed off both of the man's arms, his right leg, and nearly severed his left leg. At the beginning of the video, the man that was tied to the bed could be seen moving his head and his arms around, so he was alive to some extent at some point while Luca Magnata committed this horrible crime. In the second half of the video, Luca can be seen committing sodomy and necrophilia, and even appears to feed some of the deceased man's body to the dog that's also in the video. There were police reports that said that there was evidence of cannibalism on the victim's body as well, even though that was thankfully not seen in the video that was released to the public. Not that what we already saw in the video wasn't bad enough. As you could imagine, the video was not well received by anyone who stumbled across it. Sure, some people thought that it was a film that was made with special effects and all of that, but others knew differently. The day after the video was posted online, an attorney from the state of Montana in the U.S. made an attempt to report the video to the Toronto police, his sheriff in Montana, and the FBI, but it seems that all authorities rejected the report. The video also had many people try to report it on BestGore as well. The general consensus from the Toronto police was that they didn't believe that the video was authentic, didn't watch the video at all at first, and asked the attorney why a man would murder someone and film the entire thing. It seemed surreal to them, and they blew off the report. Luckily, in this case, the perpetrator did not strike again in the time that was given to him, but this is just another case, in my opinion, of police not doing their job to the best of their abilities. I'm sorry, but if you get a report that there is an 11-minute video on the internet of someone killing someone else and dismembering the body, take the short amount of time that it actually takes to watch the video. I'm going to pause for a moment and bring Julie into the episode to tell us a bit about Lin Jun. In the time between the murder and where the story picks up, there was a lot going on, and one of the things that was going on was the disappearance of a young Asian man in Montreal. Little did everyone know that the two things would be connected. At the time, everyone was operating under the idea that yes, this was Luca Magnata posting a new video, but they didn't know where Luca was. It was assumed that if he was still in Canada, he would be in Toronto again. Lin Jun, also known as Justin Lin, 
was an international student from Wuhan, China, and he was an undergraduate in the engineering and computer science faculty at Concordia University in Montreal, Quebec. He was 33 years old. Lin had been studying in Montreal since July 2011 and had previously studied also at Tyart College, which is a language school in Montreal. On May 1st, he had just moved into an apartment with a roommate. His friends last saw him on May 24th, 2012, and the seemingly last contact with him was around 9 p.m. when a friend said that they received a text message from him. The following day, May 25th, Lin's boss became alarmed when Lin didn't show up for work, something that was out of the norm for him. Three of his friends would go to his apartment on May 27th and did not find Lin there. Lin Jun was described by all of his friends as an upbeat, positive, and genuine person. His best friend, Benjamin Su, says that Lin was always reliable and careful to tell friends if he was leaving town for any amount of time so that nobody would be concerned for him. His friends also described Lin as being very reserved and shy most of the time. One of the reasons that Lin had moved to Canada was because he was a gay man, although not openly gay, and he wanted to move to Canada for its reputation for being more accepting and liberal than China was. Lin had been dating another man up until a couple of weeks before he went missing. Lin's family back home were not aware that he was gay and were persistently pushing him to try and find a woman to date and marry. Lin also had a cat that he loved dearly. Lin was a hard worker and someone who just had an incredible thirst for language and being busy. He juggled his courses at Concordia, a part-time job, and also the aforementioned study of French at Tyart College. By all reports, Lin was a man that was well-respected, had lofty goals, and was enjoying taking in all that Canada could provide for him. His father later described him in his impact statement by saying he was his brave son, smart son, laughing son, caring son, adventurous son, handsome son, strong son, and popular son. Lin would be reported as missing to the authorities on May 29th. This is where the two stories start to converge. At 11 a.m. on May 29th, 2012, a package was received at the national headquarters of the Conservative Party of Canada, one of the major federal parties within the country. The package was stained with blood and had a really foul smell to it when it was received. One really does have to wonder how on earth a package like this made its way all the way to the national headquarters, but I digress. Inside of the package was a left foot. The package was also adorned with a red heart symbol on the package. Another package would be intercepted at a Canada Post sorting center and it was addressed to the Liberal Party of Canada, another of the major federal parties in our country. Inside of that package was a left hand. A janitor who worked at an apartment building had also noticed a suitcase was left out for garbage pickup all the way back on the 25th of May, but he had not bothered with it when it was not picked up during garbage collection. Finally, he would approach the suitcase and describe the smell coming from inside to be like a pork roast 
that had been left out and was rotting over days. As awful as that would be to deal with, what was actually inside would be far worse. Inside of the suitcase, he would find the torso of a man with all of the limbs removed. I need to stop here and ensure that this is not just words being read on a page or words being heard over a podcast. I want you to imagine what horrible and irreparable harm would be done to you if you opened a package and found part of a human being or searched a suitcase that had been left out and found a torso. This is something that I believe nobody would ever completely recover from. The amount of stress, anxiety, and horrible thoughts and dreams that likely come with such a thing are not even comprehensible. Unfortunately, that was not to be the end of the issues that would be caused by Luca Magnata, as packages would also be received at two elementary schools in British Columbia on June 5, 2012, that would contain the right hand and right foot from the same body. Absolutely nauseating. In a sense, it was almost a lucky break that the investigators now had body parts to work with, but what was most important was the trash that was around the discarded suitcase that had the torso inside. A lot of information was found with that suitcase that made it relatively easy to prove that odds were that it had belonged to Luca Magnata, and therefore he quickly became a suspect of interest. Police would find human remains, bloody clothes, papers that named Luca, and also sharp and blunt objects that were also left with the debris. Surveillance cameras from the apartment buildings would show a man who was seen leaving the building quite a few times and carrying garbage bags. The man in the video would match the profile of the man that was seen at the post office on their surveillance, and of course, that person would resemble Luca Magnata. At 11.33 p.m. on May 29th, the police would search apartment 208, which was being rented by Luca, and discover that the apartment had been nearly entirely vacated before they got there. Blood could be found in many areas of the apartment, though, including the mattress, the fridge, the table, and the bathtub. There was also a quote written in red ink in one of the closets that read, If you don't like the reflection, don't look in the mirror. I don't care. Those are haunting words from a man who had spent seemingly his entire life trying to be someone else. On May 30th, it would be confirmed that the body parts that had been received and intercepted addressed to the federal government, as well as the torso, all belonged to the same person. Luca Magnata was obviously identified as the suspect in the murder. A note that was sent to the Conservative Party offices with the package noted that there was a total of six body parts that had been distributed, and the note also said that the killer would indeed strike again. There were notes with all of the other packages that were received, but information was withheld as the police deemed it important to try their best and avoid copycat killers. It was discovered that Luca Magnata had again fled the country and left for France on May 25th. A Canada-wide arrest warrant would go out accusing him of first-degree murder and four other counts, including committing indignity to a dead body. On May 31st, Interpol issued a red corner notice at the request of Canadian police. 
Police would also contact France immediately for fear that there would be more murder. And I will pause here for a moment. This week's episode is sponsored in part by Creations from the Heart. Donna is a metalsmith who specializes in saw-pierced pieces, jewelry and decorative pieces, and saw-pierced nature scenes on stones. She does amazing work and is able to design and create whatever you can put your mind to, and as such is very open to custom orders. I can personally vouch for her work as she has designed a dragon pendant piece for my chain and also created a new wedding ring for me. Her work is professional, the turnaround is quick, and I cannot stress enough how creative and high quality her work is. I also have one of Donna's Tree of Life pendants and absolutely adore her work. You can purchase Donna's work directly or request custom work by searching Creations from the Heart on Etsy, Facebook, or Instagram. I cannot stress enough that the heart in all of her sites is H-A-R-T. Next time you're looking for a -a one-of-a-kind gift for yourself or someone that you love and want professional quality without the boutique price, get in touch with Creations from the Heart and you will not be disappointed. I'm Edward October, and I'm here at the Octoberpod Ranch in the Great Smoky Mountains. Almost every night here, there's a ghost story party around the campfire. In my family, we believe that scary stories are best told around a roaring fire with a bottle of wine. That's why bold individualists everywhere choose Octoberpod for their retro horror thrills. Our stories are so good because they're told with such care. Understated. Moody and above all, chilling. Why don't you join us for retro horror of impeccable taste? Choose Octoberpod. Find us on YouTube or at octoberpodvhs.com. Octoberpod, retro horror for bold individualists. And we're back. Approximately 30 to 40 officers headed in France to Charles de Gaulle Airport upon contact from Interpol. On footage, they saw that Luca grabbed a cab after landing. They then tracked the cab down and found out that he had been booked into a hotel room using his own name for one night. Of course, being behind by a few days, Luca was not to be found at the hotel at all, and he was again seemingly lost in the wind. As investigators started to do a deep dive into Luca Magnata, they uncovered a lot of the social media accounts that he had created and even came across the blog that he had made. One of the blog entries covered the ways that someone could disappear and evade police. It detailed that one would need to cut off all ties from friends and family. One would need to cancel all social media accounts and one would need to garner fake identification. This was alarming because it gave investigators a look at who and what they were potentially chasing. They discovered that a lot of the things that Luca had done, like his social media accounts, was all well thought out and premeditated. 
This blog post seemed to be a breadcrumb that was telling authorities that they would not see him again because he was going to completely disappear. Word got out quickly that Luca Magnata was in France and assumed to have been the guilty party in the murder and dismemberment case in Canada. Police were being absolutely inundated with calls, which was a double-edged sword as it often is. Helpful on one hand, for sure, if Luca was still in France, but also very taxing on the other hand, on manpower, because every single call needed to be followed up just in case it was the lead that would lead them to Luca. In Don't Fuck With Cats, there are some scenes that are interviews and narratives given by Luca's mom. I'm going to blatantly tell you that I think that this woman is delusional, full of shit, and has earned herself fame that she doesn't deserve because her son was an asshat. But one of the things that she did say is something that would come up later in trial, that being that when she called Luca, he told her that he was being forced to do the videos with the cats and with the man by another man that he had met while he was doing escort work. The man that he named to his mom was Manny. Around this time as well, Luca reached out to an attorney looking to get some help, or more aptly in my mind, looking to form an alibi. He told the attorney that Manny Lopez had been making him do everything and threatening him if he didn't follow through. All of this information was coming in very fluidly and constantly. And to be frank, I'm not going to cover much about Manny Lopez um, during trial and after the fact it's been named that Manny Lopez was just another character from a movie that Luca Magnata seemed to be fantasizing about. Um, there is no part of me that believes that anyone was working with or directing Luca Magnata. I think everything points to the fact that this guy was doing all of this of his own free will, trying to be famous. Eventually, police would get a break when they found an informant, a man named Jean Christopher, who said that he had met up with a man named Luke online, who appeared to look a lot like Luca. Jean Christopher mentioned the original hotel that Luca had checked into when he arrived in France, and this was something that the police had not released to the public, so they realized that this informant very likely was legit. Jean Christopher would provide the police with a phone number that Luca had used, and they then managed to find where the phone had been purchased, and even managed to track his activity to a dingy hotel. Thinking that they might have had Luca cornered, they got to the hotel quickly, found the room that he had rented, and even found Luca's things. But, unfortunately, still no Luca. They were close, and in many ways the trail was staying warm, but they were still behind Luca. Police believed at this point, too, that based on what they found in the hotel, Luca had now changed his identity and that was going to make him incredibly difficult to find. On June 4th, 2012, though, the breakthrough that everyone had been hoping and praying for would take place. An employee at an internet cafe in Berlin, Germany, showed up for work and was watching the news while doing his shift. He saw the media report on Luca Magnata and how he was an international fugitive at this point, and much to his surprise, only a few minutes later, he would look up as someone came into his cafe, and lo and behold, there in the flesh was Luca Magnata. 
Luca would ask for internet access, and the man would lead Luca to one of the cubicles in the cafe. He was relatively sure that he was looking at the man the police were searching for, but he wanted to make sure. He kept busy around the cafe and kept sneaking peeks to see what Luca was doing and searching on the internet. Lo and behold, Luca was looking up the Interpol information on himself and searching himself on the internet. It didn't take long then before German police arrived at the internet cafe and they had their man. Luca tried using fake names to explain who he was, but nobody was buying it and fingerprints would prove that he was precisely the man that everyone already knew he was. How suitable was this? Here's a man who had spent his entire life trying to seem like someone that was someone important and someone that was worth all of this attention. He longed and lusted after being a household name and wanted nothing more than to be remembered. And here he is, thinking he's outsmarting absolutely everyone and what is this narcissistic prick get busted doing? Searching his own name on the internet. How suitable. As much as he got his fame and notoriety like he always wanted, his number one fan was himself, and he just couldn't help himself from looking up what was being said. German police wanted Luca out of their country as soon as possible, but problems persisted as authorities could not find an airline or a safety protocol that would allow for Luca Magnata to be extradited to Canada. No airlines wanted this guy on their plane. Can you blame them? I can't believe that nobody wanted to be on a plane with a man that was suspected to be a murderer of cats and at least one person. Finally, on July, sorry, on June 18th, two weeks later, a Royal Canadian Air Force CC-150 Polaris was sent to get Luca. He would then be placed in solitary confinement at the Riviere de, de Prairies Detention Center. In the midst of Luca being held in Germany on June 13, 2012, the torso and limbs were identified to belonging to Lin Jun, having matched DNA from a sample that was provided by his family. The family, of course, was distraught, heartbroken, and angry. To make matters worse for them, Video footage of Luca getting off the plane showed a man who almost appeared to be smug and satisfied. He had what he'd always wanted, fame, celebrity, and he was a household name. There were cameras and newspapers everywhere. But after two years of eluding the internet sleuths, the police, and everyone else, Luca Magnata was in custody on Canadian soil. On June 19th, Luca would appear in court via video link, and he would plead not guilty to all charges. On June 21st, Luca appeared in person at a high-security Montreal courtroom, and he requested a trial by jury. During the preliminary hearing for the trial, which started on March 11, 2013, Magnata's defense team tried to have a full publication ban attached to the trial, which would prevent media and the general public from getting any information. This was declined the next day by the judge. Expert witnesses were called to discuss pathology, toxicology, and also video evidence, amongst other things. On April 12, 2013, Luca Magnata was indicted on charges of first-degree murder, offering indignities to a human body, 
distributing obscene materials, using the Postal Service to distribute obscene materials, and criminal harassment. In trial, Luca would plead not guilty to all charges. He agreed that everything that he was accused of took place, but he claimed that he was not criminally responsible because of his mental disorders. The presiding judge would open the trial by telling jurors that Luca did not deny that he did murder. Thus, the job of the jurors would be to decide whether he could and should be held criminally responsible. The defense seemed to hinge all of their case on two things. One, Luca was mentally unwell and had been diagnosed a long time before the murder took place with paranoid schizophrenia. And two, that Luca was in a state of psychosis at the time that he committed the crimes. The prosecution would argue that everything that Luca did was planned, well thought out, and premeditated. After a 12-week trial, the jury of eight women and four men would receive their final instructions on December 15, 2014. After eight days of deliberation, they returned with a verdict of guilty on all charges that had been filed. Magnata would thus receive a mandatory life sentence for murder, ineligible for parole for 25 years. He also received 19 years for the other charges, but as per Canadian law, those extra years will be served concurrently. Appeals would be filed and then rescinded by Luca. Luca has been very busy in his time in prison and in the news frequently, but we've chosen to not talk about those details, as we feel that beyond talking about his crimes, the precursors to those crimes, and the psychology involved, he does not deserve to be talked about. Many people feel that episodes like this are not good because they focus more on the killer than the victim. But personally, I am of the belief that it's helpful to study these types of people as well. Also, we would have covered Lin Jun more, but there is not a lot of information out there about him beyond what Julie shared in this episode. In closing, we wanted to talk about two things. How Lin Jun and Luca met, and finally, we will leave with a quote from Lin's father. Lin came into contact with Luca by perusing Craigslist, a site that was used for buy and sell and other ads, but for quite some time was often used for people seeking anonymous hookups in situations like that. It's believed that he contacted Luca on this premise as he was lonely and hurting after his breakup and he wanted to find some contact with another man. Video is out there of the two arriving at Luca's apartment on CCTV, and Lynn looked to be there certainly of his own volition. So, as we have done in the past, we will recommend that if you are ever going to meet someone anonymously, please cover your bases. It doesn't matter if the intent is to make a purchase, sell something, or meet for any other reason. When you meet with someone, try to meet in public and also ensure that someone knows who you are meeting and where you are going. Obviously, there are far more cases where people do not end up in a situation like this one, but it happens. Always be safe. Finally, I'm going to end talking about this case with a quote from Lynn's father. Quote, I live each day with regret that all I now see available here will never be his that his name will only be associated with a horrible, degrading crime. 
It causes me fresh pain to know that my son's legacy is to be remembered as a victim. He's not only suffered in his murder, but will be humiliated for each time his name is mentioned, and it hurts me deeply and will hurt me forever. Unquote. Well, there we have it. These two episodes were quite difficult to do, and there was a lot of information that I did not know and that I feel people would not know unless they did a deep dive into the case, and it's definitely not for everyone. I do want to close by taking a moment to talk a bit about what's happening behind the scenes with GBNF. We had our very first piece of merch purchased, a phone case, by Cecile, so thank you, Cecile, we're glad to have you on board as one of our goners and hope that uh, you enjoy the phone case. Let us know um, all about it when you get it. Please remember that you can support us in many ways, but if you wish to do so in any financial way, you can do it by purchasing merch, by joining us as a patron on Patreon, or by making a one-time donation via PayPal. We appreciate each and every one of you who listen, support, message, retweet, review, and all of those things. Without you, we're just talking into microphones. So Julie and I are grateful for every listen and every listener that we have. Our next episode, we will also be sharing the two winners of our contest that we have going on for GBNF merch right now. If you're listening on Monday, March 21st, which is our drop date, Please hit up our social media pages before 7 p.m. Eastern Time to enter. Until next time, we'll bid you adieu and thank you for listening to Gone But Never Forgotten.